remember seeing the first puck drop. Those emotions when a player scores. The cheers from the fans and the feeling when your favorite player shoots and scores. Your hockey heroes laced up their skates, taped up their sticks, and hit the ice. Remember the passion they played with. The passion you felt with every game. Win or lose. Now, you can rekindle those memories with hockey players of the past. Get insights on how they felt on and off the ice. Hear interviews from coaches, referees, and thoughts from their fans. This is the Old Time Hockey UK Podcast with your host, Ken Abbott. Hi guys, welcome to the Old Time Hockey UK podcast. Whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, it's great to have you here. I'm your host, Ken Abbott, and if you're like me and love listening to hockey memories, stories, and anecdotes from the past, then you're exactly in the right place. In today's show, my guest is former Peterborough Pirates, Milton Keynes Kings, and Blackburn Hawks Canadian forward, Trent Casey. In this episode, Trent recalls, being drafted by the Buffalo Sabres in the 1985 NHL draft. The confusion surrounding the Lethbridge Broncos' tragic bus crash that left four players dead, including a player with a very similar name. His one and only NHL game, and coming over to the UK to sign for the Peterborough Pirates. All this, and much, much more, coming up very soon. Could you help support the podcast? and join our exclusive list of Patreon patrons that help keep the show alive. Take a look at our Patreon page at www.oldtimehockeyuk.com forward slash Patreon. That's www.oldtimehockeyuk.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll also find some terrific reward gifts on offer in return for your support of the show. Okay, so let's push the whoosh button and go chat with Trent Casey. Welcome to the show, Trent. Hey, everyone. Um, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a, it's been a while uh, since I've um, been involved or talked about the uh, old hockey days. That's right, but you are still remembered by the long-time UK hockey fans. Yeah, I do uh, stay in touch with some. I uh, see some on uh, Facebook, and we, uh, you know, some light conversation here and there. Sure. Okay, so you're a native of Nanaimo in British Columbia in Canada. How far are you away from Vancouver? Well, we're actually just a a 17-mile ferry ride straight across the water, city to city. Uh, or a 10-minute uh, little uh, float plane ride, uh, basically. Uh, but it's nice to be uh, separate on an, on the island. Our island is about 850,000 people. Right. Victoria being our capital. We, we are um, enjoying kind of island life here compared to uh, Vancouver's downtown is, uh, and suburbs are a lot like London downtown suburbs. Am I right in thinking that the weather in British Columbia is, is quite similar to here in the UK, as opposed to the rest of the uh, of Canada that really get bad snow and low temperatures? Yes, actually, uh, more so uh, Vancouver and Vancouver Island are. Yeah. As you start going east more, it gets colder and they have snow consistently from probably uh, late October through till March. But no, we are uh, today, we are under a frost delay. Um, I have a golf course out uh, on Vancouver Island and then I'm just south of Nanaimo. And, uh, we have, we actually have a frost delay because the, it was, it was chilly this morning, only minus, minus one our temperature. Yeah. But the sun is out and it's, uh, it's looking like a beautiful day today. So the highs are supposed to be about 10, 11 here today. Right. Yeah. It does sound very similar to, uh, to here in the UK. We were zero degrees and I think we're moving up to, to about eight degrees. And, and just for the listener, we are recording this on the 8th of February, 2023, so uh, we are still in winter. Yeah. Okay, Trent, well, let's move on. And uh, what are your earliest memories of playing hockey? When I started as a, a young kid, I was 
actually playing both hockey and soccer, which funny enough um, was my passion to start with was soccer. And then oh yeah, I did have a few friends that were playing both and I started to um, play uh, play both and then just ended up moving into uh, to hockey because it was just something I enjoyed a lot more. And I guess I found it was a little easier yeah. skating than running around on the pitch. It was easier to skate on the ice. <laughs> Well, no, that's, yeah, that, that is very true. So from then on then, did you always want to be a pro hockey player? Well, I mean, obviously at the start, when I was younger, you, you always dream of doing something like that. So, yeah, I guess it was always in my mind that I wanted to do something like that. But, you know, it's, it's always something that you dream of, but, you know, that you realize that, you know, if you can just have lots of fun playing it, and which I did. And I had a good group of young guys that I grew up with right through – you know, from kind of eight all the way to 16, eight years old to 16 years old. Right. Five or six of us on the team that were very good, which hence made our team good, which more people got to see us play. And it was just, we were fortunate that we were all together. You spent your early pro years in the WHL, IHL and AHL and were selected in the 1985 NHL draft by the Buffalo Sabres. Were you aware that you, you might get drafted? Yes, um, when I was in the WHL in Lethbridge, um, I had um, some different uh, scouts, different uh, actual general managers talk to me and just to see, basically interview you to see what kind of person you are. Right. Obviously, with when they start doing interviews and they don't interview some of the other guys, you kind of have a feeling that you have a possibility they're, they're looking at you. So it's just, you know, you just kind of work that out. But uh, Buffalo was very interested. I know that... They did come and watch uh, me play a few times to make sure that, you know, that they were wanting to pick me uh, at some stage. So, and yeah, it just it, it seemed to work out. It, it was a great feeling. It was terrific. And I, I guess I can always remember my first training camp with Buffalo as, you know, you're going as an 18-year-old and you meet people like Gilbert Perot and uh, all of these big name NHL guys. Um you know, like the Ramseys and um, all the uh, Clark Gillies and just some amazing, amazing guys that were wonderful, wonderful people and uh, amazing hockey players. Uh, so it's a real eye-opener. And uh, just on that, I, a little story when I was just after I did my first kind of rookie camp and, and being for, there for the first time, uh, Scotty Bowman was the, the coach. Oh, yeah. At that time, and he called me into the uh, office uh, where, you know, obviously you, he was going to talk to you about what you need to work on. Yeah. And uh, I came in, sat down, and he says, oh, hey, Trent, how are you? Um, and I'm so fine. He said, uh, how's the fishing out there in Nanaimo? I've been out there a few times. In the fish. So we talked about fishing the whole time. <laughs> and he said he'd see me next year. So it was it was quite funny because you know you're sitting with an icon like Scotty Bowman and we're just sitting talking about fishing and and um, there was another player on the team Paul Sear that was from Port Alberni on the island so he Scotty had actually been out there fishing with him at one time and said well I hope I can maybe get out there and fish with you sometime uh, so <laughs> it, it was pretty interesting it was a, it was a pretty cool story. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But what about on draft day? Can you remember what you was actually doing on draft day and how you felt when you were drafted? Uh, well, we were fortunate in Lethbridge. There was actually five of us like drafted from that team. Yeah. And we were all together. And we were with some other, some of the other, some of the older guys that were on our team, which were uh, the Sutter twins, which were on Sutter, um, Bob Rose, uh, Mark Tenardi, some guys that are captains of their NHL teams that went on to be captains. Right. And Reggett. And, and there was just, we had just a big team party that day. And, uh, you know, when the draft actually happened, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty incredible. Cause there, like I said, there was five of us and yeah. it was super, you know, you had to obviously back then I had to go use the house phone and phone my mom and dad and <laughs> let them know. But sure. Yeah. We were we weren't at the draft or anything like that, so we were just all just kind of one of the guys' houses. Yeah, celebrating together. Okay, so you had two seasons with the Lethbridge Broncos, and then in 1986, the franchise relocated 238 miles up the road to become the Swift Current Broncos. But weren't you traded just before the tragic bus crash that killed four Broncos players? 
Yeah, the year that we got transferred there, I moved all my, my stuff out there. and was there in August just to skate with the guys before I left for Buffalo again. Yeah, I was held back in Buffalo for a while, and the season had already started in Swift Current. And yeah, I had made friends in the two, three weeks that I'd been there with some of these, especially a couple of the kids that died. Yeah. It was quite close to. And of course, Lindy Ruff, who was playing in Buffalo at the time, his younger brother had passed away in that bus crash as well. Um, he's now coaching the New Jersey Devils. Um, but it was fortunate for me because they held me back. I missed a few games of the season that started because Buffalo was undecided on keeping me or not. Yeah. And then I, I did get sent back. And the good fortunate thing was is Grand James and I did not get along at all, who was the guy that was um, charged with all those offenses. I read about that earlier, yeah. And uh, I... Um, I was fortunate that we didn't get along, and my old coach, uh, John Chapman, got me back to Calgary, and um, we had uh, a fairly good team in Calgary with some of the old guys that I had played with before, so it was um, uh, it was a good experience to go through something like that mm, uh, yeah. as younger, as you know, you're just growing up is what it is. But wasn't there some confusion with some people thinking you'd actually been killed in the crash? Yeah, that's correct. Um, the one young boy... Um, Trent Cressy, was it? Yeah, it was. And I know my, my mom and dad had gotten some phone calls because back then, uh, obviously, we don't have the technology like we do now. But Yeah, sure. My mother and father had a bunch of phone calls uh, for condolences uh, on what happened, which was which was hard for them, very hard because yeah. there I am still riding on the buses and um, and they were they were struggling with it. It was it was it was a tough tough time for, for them to to go through that. Um, for me, you know, maybe not as much, but you know, they're getting phone calls to say that. And it's, they know I'm okay, but still, it was just a, a bit of a struggle for them. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. For the listener. The team bus doing just 33 miles per hour hit black ice and crashed. And sadly, Trent Cressy, Scott Kruger, Chris Mantyka and Brent Ruff all lost their lives that day. And did the 2018 Humboldt Broncos tragedy bring it all back to you? Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. Absolutely. And obviously, I'm sure, you know, some of the other fellows that went, went through all that at, at that time as well. But yeah. it really did because, of course, so how, how is it? For some freaky reason, it's another Broncos team that, that crashed. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously there's some deaths and, and then some paralyzed kids. And it was, it was really sad. It was sad to see. I felt for those families. I, you know, it really was. And I know they did come and interview my mom and dad and, and myself. Yeah. While that happened. And, uh, it was tough. It was very tough. Yeah. Any, anytime you see that, you know, you could see how the people gathered around and with this, all this new technology with, yeah. you know, let's go fund me and all that. And they raised enough money to buy, you know, wheelchairs and, and transportation and help these families that are going through these tragedies, which, which is nice to have. It's, it doesn't bring back anyone or it doesn't bring back your ability to walk. No, of course not. No. It's still at least a little bit of relief for some of these people. Memories, insights, and anecdotes of hockey heroes. The Old Time Hockey UK podcast. Okay, let's move on again then. And you had to wait until the 1988-89 season to finally make your NHL debut with the Sabres. And that was against the Quebec Nordiques, March 25th, 1989. Yeah, I did my research. What do you remember about that game? Well, it was interesting. I was at home... In uh, I was living in Rochester, New York, because I was playing in Rochester at the time, and I had a phone call from um, it was an assistant coach at the time saying, "Hey Trent, we we want to call you up. We want you to play. We want you to get on a plane and fly up to Quebec and play." And I said, "Oh, go on, that's BS. Yeah, there's no way." I hung up the phone and then, because I thought it was one of the other guys pranking me on something. Right. And then he said, "No, this isn't a prank. Get your ass over to the the airport and." You're coming up to play against Quebec tomorrow night. So I flew, I flew that night, got there and the team was, uh, had played, uh, I think it was the night before, just the other night when, uh, Clint Larchuk had that serious neck injury when all right. he was on the ice. And, uh, so that was all fresh in their minds when I got there. But when I didn't, didn't make it there, um, it was great. The guys treated me terrifically. Mark Napier was playing game 1000. Oh, yeah. And I was playing game number game number one. And they, they made us sit beside each other, which was very interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, 
But um, going out and skating on the ice, um, I had the opportunity to play with Joe Sackett back in the Lethbridge days uh, and then on to Swift Current. Oh, right, yeah. Now, that is that is a name, isn't it? That is a legend of a name. Yeah, it definitely is. And Joe came straight up to me and skated with me and, and said, oh, Trent, it's so good to see you. It's so good to have you out here. And you're finally up. That's terrific. Um, and, you know, I couldn't even understand. You know, I'm still just trying to skate around and just kind of grasp that I'm playing. Take it all in, yeah. Joe's just talking to me casually like it's just an everyday thing for him. <laughs> it was just a neat feeling anyway. So, uh, was that in Buffalo or was it in Quebec? It was in Quebec. So I wouldn't say I had a regular shift, but I, you know, I had a bunch of shifts. I did end up with five shots on goal that game and okay. had a good chance to score and goalie saved it. And, you know, I, it, it was a great experience. It was, it was super. I was, you know, it's not very many guys to get the chance to, to play there. So it was, uh, it, sure. it was, it was very cool. Very good. Yeah, I looked at the roster of the Sabres at that time and you've got great players like Pierre Turgeon, Phil Housley, Dave Andrichuk, Tom Barrasso, yeah. to name but a few. So, yeah, they certainly had a good team in, in those days. I also looked at the Rochester roster as well and I noticed that you'd played with former Sheffield Steelers players, uh, Ken Priestley and Scott Metcalf. I sure did, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kenny... Kenny and I still talk. Priestley and I still talk. Um, yeah. We had the opportunity, uh, Kenny Priestley and I had the opportunity to play uh, senior men's hockey when we both came back, retired from playing pro hockey. We played some senior men's and won a Canadian championship yeah. out here the one year or two. So I did see Scott and played in Sheffield and everything, but I haven't, I haven't reached out to Scott or talked to him since the playing days. Did you manage to play against Ken over here in the UK? You know, I can't remember if I did or I didn't. I really can't. I think yeah. I think Ken came over much later than I uh, later after I had left. Uh, you might be right, actually. I think he came in the 93-94 or 94-95 season, so... Yeah, I would have been in Milton Keynes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you'd, you'd have been probably, probably a division down. Yeah. Okay, so sadly, that was your first and last NHL game. Did you think you'd uh, you'd maybe get uh, one or two more games that season? Yeah, I think you always do when you get a chance, and you and you, and you know don't go up and just sit on the bench the whole time. Um, you, you always think positively that way. But it was near the end of the season. There was only probably another you know five, six, seven games left in the season. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just circumstances and everything fell my way, and. I think that's the way it has to happen sometimes for a lot of people to get breaks and chances. Uh, that has to happen, for sure. Okay, well, moving on again then. And after playing the 89-90 season for the Winsome Salem Thunderbirds in the ECHL, you crossed the pond to sign for the Peterborough Pirates. Um, how did that happen? What's the story there? Well, Danny Shea was probably a big component for that because he knew uh-huh. he, he had known Rocky Saginaw, who was an ex-Toronto uh, Maple Leaf. And was coaching in Peterborough. And that's right, yeah. Many and I played in the Winston Salem team. And he just asked me, he says, What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you, what's going on? And you want to try coming over and playing with me? And then I talked to Rocky and off I went. And um, it was a, a very eye opening experience. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, the first time you come over and play. and Oh, that was one of my questions. Do you recall arriving in Peterborough and what were your first impressions? It was really funny because I know when I first got there, this I, I do can't remember the guy that picked me up. It was I think it was one of the directors that came and picked me up from Heathrow. You know, it was funny because he said, "Oh, and we got our uh, we just got our first McDonald's drive-through," and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sticks over my head. That's what he was trying to tell me, and I was just going, "What?" <laughs> you just got your first one and I, I was just kind of funny that um, he was trying to explain that stuff to me Yeah, you know what and then you, you walk around and you just it's, it's just different from home because I uh, you know obviously you know a bit about what, from watching TV and stuff but um, it certainly grows on you after a while on sure. how friendly the people are especially the Peterborough fans were, were lovely they were, they were incredible and always um, helpful with you on any anything that you know different things you wanted to do or help you with stuff but they were they were great 
I know that technically we we all speak the same language, i.e. English, but did you have any problems understanding some of the fans? Uh, no, they were pretty clear, especially away fans with me. They seemed to be very clear on how much they hated me, so it was good. <laughs> You know, I've yeah, had, I think there's, there's a few words that you can understand in any language, can't you? <laughs> oh, God, yeah, there's there's some stories, there's some different things that, yeah, that's uh, it was pretty, pretty crazy. So, just going back to uh, speaking about Rocky Saganert, how did you rate him as a coach and as a man? You know what, Rocky was, um, Rocky was a good man, he had a family over there, which is not, you know, obviously e- easy at the time, yeah, because you're, you know, you're you're still playing pro hockey in your way, but it's a little easier in the UK because you're not flying everywhere. Sure. We got on great. Um, he was like one of the guys. Yeah. He'd put his gear on sometimes and come and skate with us in practice. I hear he's quite competitive when he was on the ice. Oh, oh, yes, he doesn't. Yeah, he's, he's pushing it every time. He's a uh, no-bullshit kind of guy for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so previous season, the Pirates fought off relegation from the Heineken Premier League, but were determined to do better. And as you say, you teamed up with fellow import Danny Shea, and it was a really good season for the Pirates. They finished third in the league, which was their highest ever league position, and made the Wembley playoff finals. But what did you actually think of the the quality of the league? Uh, When I first went there, I think one of the most shocking things was Darren Dirtle staying on the ice the whole game. (laughs) Right, yeah. But it was right back when I came in, it was probably more of a, just an import league because it was head-to-head imports a lot of the time. And, yeah, there was a lot of goals scored. You know, as you settle in and play, it's very competitive. The guys were all, you know, tough players, and they weren't they were certainly not afraid of anything. And it got pretty aggressive, and there was always a few good fights here and there and everywhere as well. Sure, yeah. It was good. I, I, I always remember our Cardiff and Durham battles. They had great hockey teams all the time, great players. They always had great British players, too, which helped them a long ways. I think that certainly helped them to be, in Durham's case, or in both Durham and Cardiff's case, yeah. sometimes head and shoulders above a lot of the other teams because they had those quality British players that yeah. were more like an extra import than anything else. Yeah, by, yeah the Cooper brothers and yeah. all those different players at the time. The Tony Hands and... Those are all like imports, you know. Sure. There were so many on both of those teams that were very good quality quality guys. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the team made the playoff finals weekend at Wembley, and that was again for the very first time, and had to play the reigning playoff champions, the Cardiff Devils, in the semi-final. Do you remember that semi-final? Yeah, I sure do. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, you know, I know Scott O'Connor had a had a great game. Uh, we had yeah. good goals from him all year, and that really was key for us. Uh, he always seemed to make a big save when we needed him to. And uh, we, you know, our British and Scottish players stepped up big time for us too, and had some goals and and had you know big hearts playing. They were they were very very competitive. You know, we played our guts out. You were actually 3-2 down at the end of the second period. And I'm wondering what Rocky would have said to you to actually help motivate the team for them. You went on to win 7-4. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that. I mean, Rocky, yeah, he would have came in and said, come on, guys, you, you didn't come all this way, you know, obviously to come in and lose the first game. You want to try to make it to the finals. I mean, anything along those lines. And, of course, us talking amongst ourselves, you know, we're like, this is you know, let's go win this game. We're right there. You know, we got 20 minutes to, to, to win a game. Um, well, we can do it. We just put faith in ourselves. Scotty stopped, you know, all, all the rest of the shots but one. But, you know, we, we started kicking them in the net, and that was great. Sure. You know, Doc, all, all the guys stepped up. You know, we got, got ourselves in a great position. Sure. Yeah, I was certainly surprised because the party Devils were the Red Hot favourites to go through. In the final the following day, the, the Pirates faced the Grand Slam chasing Durham Wasps. And despite scoring first through Kenny McDonald, eventually lost 7-4. But do you remember Kenny McDonald's wheelchair celebration after he scored after the first minute? Oh, I had a chance to talk to Kenny just when I was uh, back in the UK in January. Yeah. We chatted for a little bit. That didn't come up, but we always have a good conversation, Kenny and I. And uh, uh, yeah, he... Uh, he was an older rear guard, as we called him, and, and he used to do that all the time when he scored. He didn't do it very often because he didn't score very often, but it, yeah, <laughs> it was quite funny when he did, though. It was wonderful. 
It was great. It was a good laugh. Good to have a little bit of a buzz differently. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you remember much about that Wembley final? Um, I, I do. I mean, we, you know, we, I think we, the night before against Cardiff, we kind of uh, spent ourselves that night before and it was tough for us to win two back-to-backs like that. I think uh, yeah. they have a great team. You know, they're Rick Brabrandt, and uh, they just had some, once again, very good players. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the period scores of 1-2, 1-3, and 2-2. I won't say they cruised through, because to win any final, you've got to put the effort in. But you can see that the quality was there. They weren't about to let it slip. I mean, at the end of the day, they were going for the Grand Slam. I think the Pirates final was more the night before, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I would say that, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, again, moving on, and... The following season, you returned. It was a 1991-92 season. Danny Shea had been replaced by Len Socchio, who again, I think, played with yourself in Winsome-Salem. Yes, he did. But the team struggled, and in December 1991, you were released. I mean, did that come as a shock to you? And I read that you were carrying an injury. Yeah, I was, yeah. And um, I, I was, yeah, I was shocked, uh, but... Uh, I know the business. Um, yeah. Things happen. I, I've been, you know, like playing pro in the States. Different decisions have to be made. Different things have to happen. And sometimes you just have to accept it and um, live with those circumstances. Sure. And uh, off I went back um, and played in Columbus for the chill. Is there a player you would like to hear on the show? Tell Ken now at oldtimehockeyuk.com or Facebook forward slash oldtimehockeyuk. I'm going to actually take a pause from talking about your teams and your timeline. I want to go to a few quick fire questions. Thinking of all the teams you played for, who would you say were the crazy guys in your teams, in or out of the locker room? Oh, uh, Mark Slater in Peterborough. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, yeah, yeah, absolutely uh, crazy on all, all counts, Mark was. Um, great, great, great guy. Uh, liked him a yeah. lot, absolutely. And then, um, wow, in, in Milton Keynes, Lee Powell was there, and another Scottish guy with uh, lots of, Crazy side to him. All right, yeah. And uh, Mike Kindred, absolute comedian. Uh-huh. Very funny. Also back in Peterborough, a little Kevin King was a firecracker all the time, bouncing around everywhere. Right, yeah. And um, uh, the um, comedian um, Kenny McDonald was, and Kenny McKee, the two other guys that were... Well, those two guys tended to bounce off each other, didn't they? Yes, they really did. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, which I, I had a absolute laugh with and then had the pleasure to uh, meet uh, Dean Edmondson uh, which was he was another uh, comedian slash there's certainly a hell of a lot of stories going around about Dino that that is for sure yeah for sure next question then do you still bungee jump oh do I still no I haven't been um bungee jumping I I've done it a few times but I don't anymore <laughs> somebody mentioned that they thought that you're into bungee jumping or you used to be I did. I used to do it. I, we did. I've done it a few times. It's literally only uh, half a mile from where I, where we live, so it's it's easy to go there. If they're doing a special or something, you can just roll over and do it. It's quite a thrill. I've never done it myself, but I've, I've seen it on the TV, and I sort of thought, wow, you've got to have some guts to do that. <laughs> okay, so going back to the fans, what's the funniest fan remark that you may be able to remember? Um, well... I, I know some of the fans, um, or the fan remark. How about all the fans in Whitley Bay with a huge Mars bar on that said Mars on one side and had my name written on the other side, and they were bouncing it around the stadium saying, Casey, here's your Mars bar, which I thought was absolutely priceless. <laughs> I've not, not come across that one, no. The bad thing was is I could go out and score three goals in the first period against them up there, so they didn't like that at all, which made them upset. So. <laughs> The joke was on them then. Yeah. yeah um, I know I always got joked about um, being bigger. They always thought that I was <laughs> bad, and they I would get joked about all the time. But I think one of the craziest things was when I was in, I think it was Sully Hall, um, when the ladies were calling me 
calling me Adolf Hitler for some reason. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was strange as could be. And then, and then I actually stopped and asked him, I said, well, well, why are you calling me that? Where you're, you're 18. The first letter in the alphabet's A. Eight. <laughs> 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 so I said, well, wow. That's, you're, you're, grasp, deep. you're grasping at straws. <laughs> So I thought that was a, I thought that was another another one. What do you think to some of the rinks that uh, you're playing over here in the UK? I'm thinking maybe Durham or as you, as you mentioned Whitley Bay for for atmosphere and also quality or or maybe not quality. Yeah, no. I mean, the first time I, I played in uh, obviously Durham with their old school clock up on the thing, which was an actual like a, a wristwatch, like a ticking too. You know, not on a computerized one. It was, and you never knew where they were stopping it or starting it, or if there was a close game. <laughs> yeah. or, you had no clue with that. And I think that sometimes that clock went backwards, depending on whether uh, or yeah. not Durham needed a goal or two. I can guarantee you it did. Absolutely, it did. And, <laughs> and and I know that in the case of us there, and you get hit by the boards, and there's no protection, and the fans are trying to kick you in the head when you get hit in there. Oh yeah, sure. But I, I know any time I've gone up into the bar with the Durham fans and stuff, they they appreciate a good hockey game and a good a good battle and stuff. And I think that's what the fans appreciated a lot. Um, yeah, was that we could go and mit- intermingle with each other. Uh, it wasn't as angry as a soccer match has got to be. And oh, hundred percent, yeah. You know, and the people felt, you know, they didn't feel threatened or anything by anything going on like that. And they always, you know, even the away fans always thank you for coming and, and you know, giving our team a battle. And it, it, it was always sincerity about that, which was nice. Yeah. A friend of mine once said to me, it's only a war when they're on the ice. Yeah. That's one of my favourite memories, being able to go to the bar and talking to away fans and players, whether they're home or away. It was... It was a hockey family. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, you don't, you don't need to have the cages up and, and keeping them away from each other uh, because it was. So after the game was over, you you know basically shook hands and you dealt with it a, a lot along the lines of rugby too. That same kind of familiarity of that. And, yeah. On that, there's a, kind of a common thing. You, when you put your jersey on to go play, you had to give her and do what you could to win. And then when it was done, it was done. Sure. You appreciated the other guy's job and what he did, and that's the way it was. Sure, yeah. Okay, next question then. What was the best or biggest prank you can remember one of your teammates doing, or maybe even you doing, for that matter? Oh, biggest prank. Wow. Well, some of them I can't even say. (laughs) You can tell me off here. (laughs) Yeah, probably a Dean Emerson thing or something, but... um, Wow. Oh. You know, you used to like to uh, set fire to people's laces on the, on, the, on the coach when they were asleep. Yeah, Rocky would do some crazy things. Oh, I know yeah. Rocky, Rocky would always seem to get Scott O'Connor with, uh, he would always put shaving cream in the bottom of his dress shoes and things like that. Oh, wow. So that you couldn't see it when you put your shoe on, but as soon as your foot went in there, it would be full well, of shaving cream. Yeah. Um, different pranks, I mean... I think just going back in my time, one of my craziest pranks was we went, we broke into our coach's house in um, down in Winston Salem, who was uh, Chris McSorley, and we oh yeah we took all of his um, all of his furniture, everything in his whole house, and put it in his spare bedroom. Uh, <laughs> all of it, everything the canned goods or anything in his fridge, we put all in the spare bedroom. Uh, <laughs> barely, we had to actually take the door off and put it back on to get in there oh wow yeah and then so he had no idea who, who had done it and then uh, <laughs> he does now <laughs> well yeah he does now a month later when the weather was better i remember i think a couple of the other guys went over and put his couch and his tv on this roof and his, <laughs> his roof <laughs> so yeah, yeah i yeah he he, he got uh, he got ripped on a few things there for sure so but I'm yeah, very, very good there. But for the UK, I can't, I can't think of anything at the moment, but that was just a couple of things that happened in my past. Sure, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so let's return to your timeline. And 1992, you returned to the Peterborough Pirates. 
I mean, you've been gassed the season before. So how did Rocky manage to persuade you to return? Well, I don't think Rock, Rocky wasn't there, I don't think, at that time. Oh, had he left already by then? See, he left in October, didn't he? I assume you'd probably got there a month or two before then. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, you're right. I, I did, actually. I did, I did get there ahead of time. Um, uh, one of the big reasons for me was I had met my wife, Jackie, but I hadn't been married yet. She was pregnant with our son, Josh. That was one of the determining moments that when I got there, I asked her to uh, marry me and uh, us to, to go on and have a family and uh, right. start, start our life together was one of the big components for that. So it was. So is Jackie English then? She was from Peterborough or that way? She was, she was running the nightclub there, uh, right. oh, Sands in Peterborough right. at the time. And um, yeah, she is. Uh, hence, I was just back there visiting her parents because they lived down in uh, Ledbury, just outside of Gloucester. Yeah, right. That was one of the big components for me uh, coming yep. back. So that and, um, you know, us getting involved and um, sure. playing and uh, coming back because I know some of the, some of the directors liked me and, and, and I got on with them well, but obviously yeah. ultimately it was Rocky's decision to let me go at that time. So uh, I guess I came around and they let him, him go, I guess, on the other side. So by the end of October, Rocky had gone. Yeah. And you and your fellow import, Cam Plant, took over the coaching duties. I mean, was that something that maybe you, you wanted to get into, coaching? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually, I, I, I did come back and after I finished playing in the UK, I, after a while, I, I did come back and um, ended up coaching uh, junior. Yeah. Well, I was just a coach for four years of the junior team here on the Clippers. So yeah, I, I was always interested in coaching and I did spend uh, 15 years coaching my kids as well in hockey uh, through their hockey years, uh, my two sons. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So despite the coaching change, the team really struggled. And the Pirates ended up finishing ninth in the league and had to battle it out in a relegation playoff. Basically, there was two groups. You were with the Sheffield Steelers, the MK Kings and the Slough Jets. Yeah. You finished second in the group on the same points as Sheffield, but with one less aggregate goal scored, which condemned the team to relegation. I mean, do you remember that situation? You know what? I really don't. I'm not surprised because you tend to remember the uh, the good things and not the bad things, don't you? <laughs> I always find. Yeah, that. I mean, I understand that. You know, that was it wasn't it was you know shitty for losing and it wasn't good in that case. But yeah, I don't I don't completely remember all that situation. Sure. Yeah, well, I can't blame you to be perfectly honest. But okay, well, let's move quickly on then, and we'll go on to the next season, ninety three, ninety four. You decided to drop down a division to sign for the Milton Keynes Kings with player coach Rick Strachan there. I mean, how did that happen? Had you, did you get another offer to return to Peterborough or uh, did they just let you go and Milton Keynes came and offered you a deal? Uh, well, Milton Keynes had been talking to me even beforehand because I know they had wanted Scotty O'Connor as a goalie. Yeah. Uh, they knew that we were friends and they, you know, they wanted to try to capture a few. I think Andy Allen came as well. Yeah. They wanted to get a few, few players to transfer and, there was some conversation that was happening ahead of time. And we just all said, hey, let's do it. Let's all go sign and let's get it done. And, and yeah, we were happy to be uh, putting together a, a strong team that we could uh, um, move forward to um, try to win a championship at that level. Sure. Well, it was a very successful season for the Kings because despite losing the first four league games, the team won the First Division North title. Can you remember returning to Peterborough as a Kings player? Because obviously you would have played the Peterborough Pirates at, uh, in, in that same uh, division. Um, I, you know so what? I just wondered whether the fans gave you a hard time, that was all. No, I don't, I, I, I don't really recall them giving me a hard time. Um, you know, I think, I think they, were, they were always receptive there. Uh, of course, they're going to give you your gears and, and everything as that happens. But, you know, we were... Uh, we were a pretty strong team. They they weren't, uh, if I remember, they weren't too strong. You know, I, I think that, yeah, like anything, players move on and play on different teams, and it's just kind of life. And um, But, I mean, the Peter, Peterborough fans have always been wonderful. I mean, I'm not, I have nothing ill to say about them at all. Sure. Um, nothing identified anything for that uh, situation where I, uh, would have said, oh, well, that's shocking. But no. I wasn't sure whether Animal Corner would have given you a bit of grief when you returned to that. 
Oh, of course they would have. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Jim Dooley. Their reputation preceded them. Well, Jim Dooley would have been the all-around big problem anyways, I'm sure. So, so as I say, it was, a, it was a really good season for the Kings because they won the championship and also won promotion via the playoffs, but nearly blew it. I don't know if you remember, the team actually lost 6-3 away to the Telford Tigers and then were 3-0 down at home the next night. I don't know if you, do you remember that game? Uh, I do. In parts of it, yeah. Yeah, you scored a hat-trick in, uh, in the third period. Uh, the Kings eventually won the game 10-7. But I can imagine the fans must have been really uh, sweating that night with you being 3-0 down at home. And obviously, you would have been 9-3 down at that time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that there was there was the pressure on. And, and you know, like like you said, if sometimes cruise through a season and you take things easy and it's, and it works backwards as you go into the playoffs, and you yeah. forget that you got to still work hard for things. It's uh, it's, it's tough to uh, make sure that happens. Sure, yeah. But to say, certainly, it was a, a season worth remembering because everything yeah. good happened, and you got promoted to the Premier League. Want more old time hockey? Connect with Ken now on Twitter at Old Time Hockey UK or on Facebook forward slash Old Time Hockey UK and visit OldTimeHockeyUK.com. So, moving on to the 94 95 season, and you return to the Kings to play in the Premier League, but unfortunately, the team really struggled, and in November, you were cut. Didn't that come as a big surprise to you? Um, I, yes and no. I mean, the, the guys that were there were all friends and been there for ages. Uh, yeah. The Doug McCarthy, Patty Scott, Rick Strack, and they were all tight. And uh, I was the odd guy out, and uh, none of them were going to get moved. Right. You know, uh, there was just that was just once again the circumstances of the game where you yeah. know I was kind of the outside guy. Not necessarily the worst guy, but the outside guy. Yeah. And they, uh, they decided to uh, make a change. They needed to do something. Yeah. That was fine with me. I mean, at that moment, Rocky had called me again, and he was coaching up in Blackburn, and uh, we made the move up to Blackburn. I had, uh, obviously, I had uh, two kids at that time and uh, had to make some life decisions as well. Um, but, you know, I wanted this to play out the rest of the year because it was obviously November at some stage and we wanted to get um, something accomplished. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got a chance to go up there and Doc Dirtle was up there with Rocky and, and, you know, a couple of our other guys and I think Scotty was maybe even up there too. So it was good to catch up with some of the guys again. Sure, because I, when I looked at that, I thought, wow, I'd forgotten that Rocky Saginaw had gone to Blackburn because initially, the beginning of the season, Blackburn were in turmoil. Then things changed. Rocky was brought in. Obviously, as you say, he brought Doc Durdle in, a couple of other players, and, and then yourself. And things were stabilised, even though I don't believe that the Hawks were a successful side. But I think they finished still like ninth in the league. So I suppose it was just a question of getting through that season. It was a bit of a blur for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, at that stage, I I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I didn't know what to do, and uh, you know, I had a young family, and uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously, anytime at the rink or anytime you're playing, you're having fun because you've got great guys are always fun to be around and everything. But yeah. you know, my life was changing at that time too, so I had to you know start to focus on what was I going to you know I can't keep doing this for um, forever, so. Of course. At the end of the season, you returned to Canada, and did you actually hang up your skates then? As you say, you was only still you're still only 28, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I once I left once I left that season, I came back and we moved the family back, and um, I had been talking with my father. You know, once I had my my family started, I talked about you know, what was I going to do and everything, and my and. My dad was in, he had been in the business of developing and, and rough cutting golf courses and, and whatnot. And, and um, he said, there's an opportunity to get some land uh, in kind of South Nanaimo area. And we ended up jumping on that and started building Cottonwood Golf Course. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that, that started my new life. Uh, you know, we started selling memberships uh, to people, which was just basically raw land. Yeah, we had to sell the concept, and we did. We sold a bunch of that and developed it, and 
built nine holes, probably started in, I think it was May 95. So it was the year I just finished. Yeah. Built nine holes and then built a clubhouse and built another nine holes. Wow. And we're in 1999, we're fully operational, 18 hole golf course, full facilities. Doing, you know, tournaments, weddings, all kinds of things. Um, my wife and I, with uh, a couple investors, bought uh, my mom and dad out in 2006. And since since then, since 2006, um, my wife and I have bought out the other investors as well. So it's just us. Wow. Us involved in it right now. So it's um, it's been a passion. It's been, uh, I've done a lot of the legwork, a lot of the construction myself. I just renovated 12 T's. Uh, through the COVID times because there was not a lot, not a lot of anything else to do. So I thought I'd just go work. Yeah. And, um, it's been, it's been great. Um, as of last May, uh, May 18th, our granddaughter was born. So we're grandparents. Oh, wow. Which is pretty special. Yeah. And it's been, uh, it's, it's been great, uh, great life over here. We enjoyed it very much. And, you know, uh, I still play hockey on Monday nights with oh, yeah. all various ages of kids and stuff, but there's no referees. There's no, there's no hitting. It's just go out and skate, enjoy it, and have yeah. a sweat and have a laugh is what it is. <laughs> but it's nice that uh, you can actually live your life in your passions, as you say, because you're still skating, you're still playing hockey, but with the golf as well. Yeah, it's, I think it's a rare thing that um, people can work within their passion. Yeah, that's very true. Because there's so many people. I mean, I have a few friends that aren't happy where they are and whatnot. It's 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 tough uh, for that that side of things for sure. It's the same as in, you know with Jackie. She was in the entertainment business. Now she works for Hallmark. She's a castle director, so she's doing things that she loves to do. Oh, really? Wow. Well, yeah. It's um, it's very fortunate that you can carry on and do do things you love to do. Uh, it's important because it, it keeps you going in life for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, there's just a few more questions to ask before we finish, but is there anything else you'd like to talk about that I haven't covered? It's great to touch on a lot of these things, and I'm sure I've probably even missed a few things along the way, <laughs> you know, in, in different areas or categories. Uh, uh, I could probably tell you one story that was pretty interesting. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Keith Gretzky was uh, on the team in Rochester at the time with me, and of course I when you're playing in pro hockey like that, you don't get a chance to go back home for Christmas or anything as such. So yeah. he, of course, was in Bramford, which was only a two-hour drive just back across the border yeah. from Rochester. So he said, Dave, you want to come to, up to my house and meet mom and dad and Gretzky house? And uh, Wayne and uh, Janet are supposed to come up for Christmas. And I was like, oh, sure, that's awesome. So wow. uh, it, was, it was great. We, we stopped at the border and he... And he had to buy some cigarettes and some some rye for his Christmas presents for his parents. And yeah. off we went uh, to the house and met everyone. It was it was an amazing experience. Went downstairs and it was dad had old school big TVs, you know, the big thick wide TVs. And oh yeah. He had like four of them all stacked on top of each other so you could watch winning <laughs> and other games. Wow. And then I went into this back room. It was just an older, regular house. We went into a back room. And he said, watch your step, be careful. And he had to go back to turn a light on. And I kicked something. Um, and then he turned the light on, and it was the Consmite Trophy Wayne had won. And oh, wow. The light on the room was blinding. It was like all trophies, just yeah. wall to wall. It was just wow. an incredible, incredible thing. You can't, it's easy to explain, but it's just when you're there, it's, it's uh, remarkable. It's something else. For sure, yeah. Wow, gosh. Okay, um... Next question then. If you could go back and change just one thing in your career, what would it be? Um, what would it be? Um, I would say I would have worked harder, concentrated harder in the off season to be more prepared to go to my professional training camps. Yes. You know, going to Buffalo and going to any of the training camps, being way more prepared as you get a little yep. older, you understand that. But as a 19, 20 year old, it's, it's hard because back in the day, well, it's different now with training and all this year round stuff. But back in the day, it was, you got one sheet of paper and an envelope to say, do your stretching and do some running. Uh, that was it. More restrictions were more on you back, you know, back at that time of, of life. So it was, it was, yeah, it was tough to discipline yourself. You know, you get at that age, you got, bunch of your friends all hanging out and doing summer things and you're 
we're supposed to be training, but that, that's one thing I would change. Right, gotcha. Okay. Do you actually get to see many games these days? I did go over to a Vancouver Canucks game this year. We went and watched the game. They lost 3 nothing. so I think I spent probably the third period in the bar just because the game was <laughs> boring. So, But not a lot. I'll watch some on TV. We were fortunate. We went over and watched uh, some of the World Juniors, and we've watched the Olympics when they were in, in here in 2010. We've got to watch the Olympics with Team Canada. And, um, yeah. But uh, I wouldn't say a ton. Um, you know, we spend more time out on our boat and uh, just enjoying life, I guess, in that way. What do you miss about not playing the game? Well, I do play a little bit still, but um, yeah. what I miss is that um, it, it's it's like a band of brothers, basically. Yeah. You miss that dress room time, uh, just, you know, sitting, chatting about all different types of things. Hearing the stories from the young guys, how crazy and the stuff that they've been up to, <laughs> playing on the road, um, you know, you get together and you get tighter, team meals, travel together. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real, it's a real thing. And I can pretty much say most, most of the guys that you probably talk to is, is one of the things that they probably miss most is, is just that. 100% the camaraderie of being in the dressing room with the guys. That's what I would say then. Trent, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. And thank you so much for coming on the Old Time Hockey UK podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Thanks for reaching out and um, was really happy to do it. Uh, I know it took me a little time to get organized, but uh, that's <laughs> crazy things going on. And, but it's been very enjoyable and uh, thanks for reaching out. Thanks again and I'll catch you later. Memories, insights, and anecdotes of hockey heroes. The Old Time Hockey UK Podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of the previous episodes, they're all available for free on Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you prefer. Just yesterday, I was informed of the sad passing of longtime Sheffield Steelers fan Stuart Marks. I first met Stuart in 1993 when he walked into my Sheffield hockey shop to talk about, would you believe, all things hockey. The grief he then gave me for being a Nottingham Panthers fan was really unreal. Not just then, but for the next 30 years. We disagreed on many things, especially on politics and hockey, but our friendship endured. I shall miss your banter, Stuart. Rest in peace, my friend. It's shout-out time. Today's shout-out goes to all of my Patreon patrons. To Tommy Ball, Oscar Brownsword, Rob Clayton, Colin Dunn, Susie Hatch, John Hume Spry, Chris Saddington, and Andrew Williamson. You really do help keep this show alive. Thanks, guys. It's so much appreciated. Have you visited our shop recently? You'll find vintage powerplay magazines, ice hockey news reviews, ice hockey annuals, and other hockey books, plus UK hockey card sets and individual NHL player cards, all available in our shopping section. There's also t-shirts and sweatshirts too, all at giveaway prices. You'll find plenty of these goodies at www.oldtimehockeyuk.com forward slash NSNS for new shop. So that's www.oldtimehockeyuk.com forward slash NS. N for new, S for shop. Why not check it out right now? Thanks again to Trent Casey for coming onto the show and to you, the listener. Thanks for your company. I'm Ken Abbott. And until the next time, I'll catch you later. Thank you for tuning into the Old Time Hockey UK podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we would be thrilled if you could head over to iTunes and leave a review and rating. If you would like to receive updates on future episodes, please join our mailing list at www.oldtimehockeyuk.com. Old Time Hockey UK. The puck drops now.